0: Welcome to Embedded Finance Unplugged, the podcast series from Andaria. For this special episode, we're here at the FinTech Talents Festival at the Brewery in London. I'm your host, Graham Barrett. And I'm going to be interviewing some of the key speakers from Andaria's stand. I really hope you enjoy the conversations. Joining me now is Peter Dignan. He's head of Piston Heads Engineering and Consumer Engagement at CarGurus. Nice to see you here today, Pete. Nice to see you, Graham. Start by giving us an introduction, maybe, to Car Gurus and the specific brand you work for, Piston Heads.
1: Yeah, so Car Gurus was founded in USA in two thousand and six by Langley Steinhardt. So he's one of the co-founders of Tripadvisor. It's the number one automotive marketplace in the USA, and we're trying to bring it to the UK and and become that in the UK as well. Um, the kind of vision statement for Car Gurus is we're building a destination that gives consumers and dealers. The confidence to buy, own, and sell the cars in the right way, anywhere, um, at the right price um, for them, really. So it's really just trying to make that automotive buying journey as easy and transparent as possible, and that's what we've brought to the market to start off with. We've brought a, saw a product called Instant Market Value, which tells you whether a car's are overpriced, and some of the competitors have borrowed that in the UK. So it's about that transparent stuff, and we operate in, um, say, USA, Canada, and the UK. Piston Eds is part of that Cargurus family. It was bought back in 2019 to try and extend the UK market. It's the number one site for UK premium performance and collectible cars and has more Ferraris for sale than Autotrader, so that kind of shows you where the niche sits. Uh, we're a destination of car lovers, so those who want to talk, buy, read, engage, massive enthusiasts on cars, we're the place to go for that kind of knowledge. And really what we're trying to do is turn those sort of dreams of owning those cars into reality by giving you all the tools you need to do that.
0: Yeah, sounds great. Now how do you approach customer experience at Car Yeah, so consumer
1: experience kind of splits into two different two different segments. So as a marketplace you've got a satisfied dealer experience, you've got to satisfy the consumer experience. And with the consumer experience there's just three key things that people are looking for. They're looking to see if it meets my criteria, whether I'm getting a good price, or whether I the car's reliable at the end of the day because they don't want it to break down. It's, it's what they use as um, a sort of transport. And the dealer side, they're trying to maximise their profits, but they also need to satisfy that consumer experience as well. So it's about giving tools to actually help that all work across the board.
0: And what about embedded finance? There's a lot of talk about embedded finance here at FinTech Talents. How can that play into the customer engagement and enhance that for you?
1: I think we've seen a transition, especially through the COVID times, of moving that buying journey fully online. And um, as part of buying it fully online, you need to have the tools there to make that work. And car buying is one of those really expensive purchases. I think people are getting slightly more comfortable to buy the full cool car online. There's been entrances to the market who've, who've done that. And where Embedded Finance sits in is is you need a way to finance a car. A majority uh, of people are kind of looking for a monthly price rather than overall price. And being able to surface that up in the consumer journey is really key to making that work. And Embedding Finance is is part of one of those things to make that work and have that digital deal and and be able to sit at home and buy a car and get it delivered to you as part of that in one site is, is really key to us.
0: So that's really clear how it works from the customer side. How do you make money from it?
1: So, to make money from it is, is tricky in the UK, so it's a little easier in the US because I think there's more margins to play. So, the challenge of making money from it is that us selling more cars and people being more interested in cars means we have more dealers on site. So, there is that kind of um, impact of dealers wanting to advertise us because we've got consumers, we've got a great experience. Uh, we also got a little play in with the finance partners, so if we're sending stuff to the finance partners, we can get a little payback from that as an introduction fee. But ultimately, I think where we want to be is part of that transaction. So we want to take a small percentage of, of, the, of the transaction fee and a small percentage of that finance deal that's actually happening there. Which is tough because you don't want to disseminate the dealers who also have finance deals. So it's about trying to surface those finance deals that the dealers have to give them a good experience to the consumers so they actually understand how much they're paying and what they're buying and what they can afford.
0: And just to finish up here, what would you say your priorities are over the next 12 months in terms of consumer engagement?
1: I think the priority for us is is one, um, we're trying to help everyone sell cars in the best way and buy cars in the best way. So on Pistonheads, we've launched an auction product which um, allows you to, for enthusiast shoppers where you don't know the price of the car, it's really key, is to actually have an auction product so someone can sell in that way. But the ultimate thing is we want people to buy and sell and own cars in any way which is suitable for them. So it's building the tools that help that with Digital deal to do fully online or auctions if you want to sell um, in a way you don't know the car and buy for auctions to see if you can get a bargain is really key for us to try and grow in the automotive sector in the UK.
0: Well, I now know where to come when I need to buy my next car. So.
1: And if you want to buy a Ferrari, you have more Ferraris than anyone else. So come <laughs> to
0: business. Peter Dignan, thanks for joining me here today. Thank you very much. I'm with Andre Muller, he's Global Payments Manager, Ellie at Volkswagen Group. Nice to see you here, Andre.
2: Nice to have him here, thank you.
0: Yeah, our pleasure. Now, you've just spoken on a panel session about what it means to be a customer centric organization. How would you define that?
2: Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> so, we got five uh, minutes. <laughs> okay, ramp up. Um, from our point of view, uh, it's, it's quite a little bit complicated to see uh, our company as a customer centric company, or the points on, on customer centricity. Because um, I'm original. Before I joined Ali, I was I'm coming from from the e-commerce sector, where the customer centricity is hold the customer as long as you can in the shop, bring him to the out uh, checkout process, and then get him out very smoothly without any any problems. In our world at Ali, it is uh, just a little bit more complicated. We are in charge of for the European Union for, for the European area and uh, for our volume brands, like Skoda, uh, Volkswagen, Cooper, Seat, and Audi himself, and all these uh, manufacturer have other challenges for their apps. So we are part of the app they are using. If the customer is charge up the car, then we are behind that. But also with our own brand, Ali, we also have an, uh, have an app outside where we're talking about to all e-mobility drivers so it doesn't count which brand they are using and in that case you have different challenges from the customer centricity side so the onboarding process is always the same the customer comes in makes uh, set up his account uh, give us his payment and in the best case he chose one of our three tariffs and in that case well when it gets worse, we don't see the customer for six months because he's a house owner and charge up his car at home, but then in the summertime, he's going to, to Spain with the whole family and everything has to work, and this combination of challenges with the focus to the customer is challenging every day, from the part of our own brand to the parts of the brands of the, uh, of, of the Volkswagen route himself.
0: Okay. And what about from a payments perspective specifically?
2: What are the challenges you face in that area? Um, From the payment uh, point of view, we have uh, the challenge of of risk and fraud prevention, uh, detection, uh, prevent our company from fraud, which starts on the KYC process so that we get the real address of the company, company, uh, the, the, the customer, sorry but uh, it will be also going through the payments with one-time payments with uh, one-time credit cards which is at the moment a little mess for us for for example we have a, a big discussion with Revolut from UK because uh, we, we are the company um, of challenging that they reduce uh, of the 20 one-time credit cards down to four that's our work yeah. <laughs> because we had a lot of problems with frauds in, in that case and um, here, yeah, one main challenge in payments in our apps is uh, preventing uh, uh, preventing risk and fraud, but also hold the customer in the subscription service that he will charge with us, and also uh, in the end of the day KYC process in the beginning, but also have the right setup for the, for, for each country in Europe because. You have main payments like PayPal or credit card, but beside to this, you have much more payments on local side areas. So for example, Austria EPS, is it the right payment for our subscription service? Open banking, for example, which I I uh, um, highly involved now or uh, doing analysis, uh, is it a potential payment for us? And we realize no, because it's not subscription-based service and something like that. So in the end of the day, keep the interaction down with the customer, but make the payment work.
0: Talk to me a little bit more about fraud prevention and how concerned are you about things like AI and that getting in the hands of the fraudsters?
2: I was last week on a conference in Hamburg, a uh, payment summit, where one of our partners were presenting AI and uh, machine learning uh, as the next thing as part of fraud prevention. and. I highly support this because the, the biggest challenge in fraud and risk prevention is to catch the wave in front of the fraudsters. Always, and it doesn't count if you are talking about e-commerce, charging or whatever, always we are in a risk and fraud prevention behind the fraudsters. They are running in front of us and we are reacting to what they are doing and hoping we catch the wave to be in front of them and that's I, uh, in that case, I think AI and also machine learning will help us a lot of uh, uh, help us a lot of detecting and protection our systems. Yeah, totally.
0: It's a bit of a race, isn't it, between uh, uh, it, is, you it, know, is, it is who's going to come out on top? So the,
2: the good thing there was, uh, or the bad thing now is uh, in e-commerce. I had the feeling uh, the company I worked before was a, D, a big DIY store in Europe. There I had a feeling, yeah, we win the race. We are in front of the fraudsters uh, of protecting the systems, protecting the shops and something like that. But then I'm moving uh, to the charging say, Oh, okay. New challenge. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's going to be a huge challenge, but um, we wish you all the best for all the work you're doing at LE. Andre Muller, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks, uh, thanks for having me.
0: Okay, I'm here with Jit N, who's the Payments Industry Interface Manager at Transport for London. Jit, lovely to see you here today. Hey Graham, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, not at all. Now you've just spoken on a session, haven't you,
3: around open finance. What were some of the key points made? I think the key points there was very much along the lines of open banking is kind of the buzzword today. And everybody's thinking, you know, that's going to be the silver bullet that will help everybody. And I'm turning around and saying, you know, for TFL, not necessarily. You have to understand what the challenges are, and the challenges are genuinely costs, processes, new things that are happening. It has an implication on TFL, and we have no money to make that change. So how are we gonna do this? How are you gonna do this, yeah. Well, what we're hoping for is that we're hoping that the industry understands the challenges, understands that transit is not retail. So I tried to start off this hashtag, transit is not retail, (laughs) right? and understand the, n- the nuances. Once they understand the nuances, they can then turn around and say, okay, fine. So we can come up with a model for TFL. And once we come up with a model, then we need to talk about, okay, so this is how it technically works, this is how the process will work. Then we need to talk about ballpark figures. How much is this going to be in the, in the realms of? Because once you understand that, then now you can start working with us to see how we can bring an idea into reality.
0: So. It's- Coming up with a kind of bespoke solution, really, rather than just thinking of a one-size-fits-all, it needs to work for you guys, clearly. So I guess the obvious
3: question is, why would you guys consider open banking then? Well, open banking is something new that's coming in the industry, and it would be very foolish of TFL not to look into it and see whether or not there's any mileage in this. At the end of the day, what we want is options, right? Options to our customer, and more importantly, options to ourselves, so that we can turn around and say, oh, this is a better commercial model, or this is a better service model for my customers. So that's why my role was created, was to actually sit down there, attend moments like this. Because otherwise, have you ever seen TFL leave their, their headquarters? No, because they're just focused on transit, transit, transit. right? So now they're understanding payments plays a big part in this. And if we get that right, then our costs can be kept at a lower level. And by keeping our costs lower means that we can meet the fact that just because cost rises, we can't pass them on. We are driven by policy, not profit. It's obviously
0: a very customer-centric approach that you have at TfL, which is reassuring to hear. How
3: do you approach customer experience at TfL? What are your kind of fundamentals there? So for us, we have a few pillars that we have to, you know, value pillars that we have to go through. Transparency, how do we come to that decision? That needs to be able to withstand any scrutiny. The other thing that we need to make sure is that the customer is treated fairly, and the customer journey does not differ. Just because you are the CEO, just because you're Madonna using TFL services, doesn't mean that I give you any extra value or any extra service, right? It's the same experience and it needs to be simple. The reason why TFL is so successful is that it's a simple model. But with simplicity comes opportunities for fraud to happen. And this is where we need to get on top of it.
0: Yeah, let's just finish up on that point then around fraud. I mean, how concerned are you and what do you need to put in place to combat these fraudsters?
3: So for, for us, fraud, luckily for us uh, in transit, it's very, very low, right? Fraudsters don't steal a card, don't clone a card, and then go travelling on TFL tracks. No point. So in that respect, it's low. But what we need to be really careful about is trending. So the TikTok craze, whereby somebody posts something and says, oh, if you do it this way, you can get free travel, right? Those are the things we need to come down hard on. And they're not seasoned fraudsters. They're just kids. Well,
0: yeah. it's fascinating to hear. I've heard this from all different sides today, so it's fascinating to hear it from a, a TFL perspective. Jip, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today.
3: Not at all. Thank you so much for inviting me, Brian. Take care. Okay, I'm here
0: with Carl McCartney. He's the Customer Experience Director at Les Mills. Carl, nice to see you here today. Thanks for having me, Graham. Start by giving us an introduction to Les Mills, maybe, and how the business is
4: set up. Les Mills is a a fitness company we founded in 1968. Les Mills is actually an Olympic and Commonwealth athlete based out of Auckland in New Zealand, former mayor of New Zealand, and and started a chain of gyms. Why I'm saying that is because his son then created a, a suite of group training programs, which were launched in the early 90s and are now featuring over 110, countries around the world, 130,000 instructors and around 9 million weekly workouts through our club partners and also through our streaming platform as well. So we are a group training company that really looks at the health and well-being of the planet.
0: Now you spoke on a panel this morning about understanding the modern customer, didn't you? What
4: did you contribute to that discussion? It was a really interesting discussion because we were talking about some of the research uh, from one of the panellists around the model consumer um, and what the customer is now looking for. So with the change in demographic in the marketplace, particularly around Gen Z and Millennials, we talked a little bit about the, the workforce. Now Forbes have debated this, but it's estimated that around 75% of the workforce will be made up of Gen Z and Millennials by 2025. So with that in mind, the changing face of the consumer is definitely there. The pandemic has changed the way that people consume goods, the way that they're looking to integrate goods into their lifestyle, and also how quickly they want goods to be available. So we talked a lot about the nomadic nature of the population, how people want to work and train and live in different places, they want to be tied into a fixed base, and also looking at products be to market a lot quicker than they have done before.
0: Right. Well, tell us more about that demographic then, that Gen Z demographic. How do they want to interact with brands, do you think?
4: Well, the biggest thing is no longer are they looking at traditional search methods to engage with brands. For example, TikTok is the number one place for Gen Z to research a brand. They're more likely to engage with a product if it's got positive recommendations from like-minded individuals, so peers, other consumers. Rather than in the past, we'd look on Google, we'd look at a, a rating, and we'd decide based on reviews there. Now it's about reviews through social channels. So Fit talk in our industry, for example, is the hashtag that they'll use, fitness and, and trends around TikTok. People will look at that and say, I want to engage with that brand because it has numerous positive con- contributions. It also works in a negative connotation, but unless you're working or marketing in that space, you're less likely to get that engagement. So
0: that really plays into your brand strategy, does it, at Les Mills? You've got to be creating a lot of content for TikTok, I guess.
4: A lot of content for that younger population and also innovating our products. We launched our first program, Body Pump, which is world-renowned and probably our most successful back in 1997 on a global perspective. The consumer were different. In 2012, we launched the hit program for millennials. The consumer was different. We've now pivoted and changed. So, we've got to understand what that consumer demographic is and understanding how we meet that consumer demand.
0: Yeah. Now, a big talk uh, at FinTech Talents here in London today is around embedded finance. So, I'd be really curious to know how you think you can bring embedded finance into Les Mills.
4: This was an interesting conversation because I'll I'll be honest and say that from from my perspective, I, I, I work in the fitness side of our business and look at our products and how that changes people's lifestyles and contributions. Really embedded finance though is about behavior change, and that's what ultimately we do. We're in the fitness business, which is the motivation business. How do we change people's behaviors and motivations with what they do? So embedded finance doesn't necessarily just mean uh, having an ability to look onto an app for subscriptions or for a finance platform with an open API across different accounts. How do we link that with behavior change in fitness as well? We talked a lot about this in the panel, and I talked to my panelists about this before we came to the event. I've spoken to our chief digital product officer. How does that live in the future? It is a future-focused consideration for Les Mills. It isn't something we're doing right now, but in the future, we'll look at how we create that lifestyle habit, both with training, engagement, and also embedded finance. Do you think that opens up new revenue streams for Les Mills as well? I think it has to. Really, the, the revenue is generated through a number of different channels that we have but we've got to also look at how we get our products to market faster and we've got to pay for that through different revenue streams. So it's definitely something to consider. That's going to be
0: fascinating to see how you bring that kind of embedded finance solutions into the business. But Karl McCartney, thank you for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. Okay, I'm now here with Victor Mitoir, He's VP of growth at Numeral. Victor, nice to see you here at the event. Thanks for
5: having me. Start by giving me an introduction to Numeral. What do you guys do? Numeral is a payment infrastructure company. We help fintechs, banks, any regulated financial institutions build pan-European payment flows working directly with their banking partners. And to do so, we abstract the complexity of building one-on-one bank integrations. We abstract the complexity of building custom payment flows that are resilient, scalable, on top of the payment infrastructure across Europe.
0: Now, I understand you were founded in France, you have an office in Paris, but also an office in London. How do you see the differences and similarities between those places in terms of fintechs?
5: Opening an office last year was one of the most exciting things we've done in London. The UK fintech world has always been fascinating when you you come from France, which is already a very healthy uh, fintech country. Coming into the UK, what's staggering is the number of fintechs, just the sheer number of innovators that have sprung on the back of uh, regulation in payments that have been very much at the forefront 10 years ago. So lots of uh, very innovative companies are there, accessing the different UK payment schemes, VAX, FPS, CHAPS, and what's really exciting to see is how these companies are exporting themselves in continental Europe, in the US, globally. We exist to serve those companies as they start to mature in how they want to work going from you know banking as a service providers to working directly with banking partners tier 1s specifically
0: now fintech talents is all about talking about the the hot topics in the industry at the moment what do you see as the main trends in payments at the moment
5: What's exciting from our perspective is is the acceleration of payments as a as a first trend, driven by regulation, new payment systems in SEPA, for example, the mandatory obligation for every bank to receive and uh, and send instant payments and reduce that price. It's going to create exciting new business models. It's going to accelerate embedded finance trends. So we're very much looking forward to that and equipping uh, financial innovators with the right infrastructure. We also follow very closely uh, embedded finance, which obviously is another major trend. The financialization of business models is one where we see a lot of opportunities.
0: Yeah, really fascinated to hear more about embedded finance, because we're really at the kind of infancy, aren't we, of embedded
5: finance. How do you see that developing? Can't agree more. We think that ultimately every company is going to become a finance company at some point. Payments, I expected the number of payments expected to go by three times over the next five years, the fastest it's ever grown in terms of number. Now that's on the back of new business models, new way of exchanging value. Payments are at the core of it. So we see a lot of opportunity there if companies manage to equip themselves with the right payment infrastructure.
0: And just finish up by giving me some of your priorities as VP of growth at Numeral, say over the next 12 months.
5: First and foremost, serve our UK customers. We serve On one hand, fintechs, payment institutions, electronic money institutions looking to scale their payment operations across Europe, adding two, three, four, five banking partners across Europe to be as local as possible and address some of the challenges of scaling uh, pan-European, high-band discrimination being one of them. You need local operations. That's one priority. And the second priority for us is to also support uh, building societies as a whole. Billion societies manage huge amount of money. They create a lot of opportunities through their lending operations, but they have a lot of modernization challenges when it comes to payments. So we're here to help them do that without the complexity and the cost.
0: Well, good luck with that. And thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today,
5: Victor Mitwa. A pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
0: I really hope you've enjoyed this episode of Embedded Finance Unplugged from the Fintech Talents Festival here in London. A big thank you to all my guests for sharing their thoughts and insights. Please like, follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to find out more about Andaria's embedded finance offering, please visit andaria.com. But for now, thank you for listening and goodbye.